Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, in these times that we're living with COVID-19 and self-isolation and social distancing, it got us to thinking about maybe some of the opportunities in the market. I know we've been talking to a lot of uranium players, uh, investors, who are wondering what the implications could be in the uranium space, um, what some of those events could mean. And we started thinking about maybe some of the other commodities which might be able to take advantage of the current situation, or at least get some clues as to the sorts of things they should be looking for. So we picked up the phone to Mark Selby, who's going to join us in a second. And um, because he was head of research at INCO during the SARS crisis in, I think, 2003, and also with Quadra during the global financial crisis in 2008. And we put a question to him, which was, are there parallels to be drawn? And, you know, can we take advantage of some of those things? So hello, Mark. How are you, sir? Good, Matthew. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Hold up at home like everyone else. I guess you are too. Yeah. Um, you know, except I've got to shave every day. You don't. There you go. So, yeah. You're <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little furrier than the last time I saw you. So. Well, good, good, good. Um, now, we obviously have taken advantage of you on a couple of occasions. You've kind of talked us through some of the kind of key components within the nickel market um, and you know that's been really really well received um, you've also talked about your new venture Canada Nickel Corp which um, seems to be going quite well for you but today we were hoping you could help us get a little bit smarter but maybe looking at some historical information historical data and behaviors back from 2003 and 2008 Sure. Yeah, no, I, the key thing here is I think, you know, these are the kind of times where you can make, you know, these kind of once in a decade type returns on investments. You know, the key thing is, is, okay, you know, choosing to step into the market, you know, when the market's collapsing. So, you know, you, you, you know, you can you know, think you're catching a bottom, but then if the price drops another 30 to 50% from there, you know, you're not looking, uh, looking too smart, you know, and it's going to take a while to get back to that, 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 uh, make that investment. But, you know, having been through it in 2003, having been through it in 2008, you know, and again, even with RNC, just in terms of mining equities that really swooned in late 15, early 16, just looking at, you know, driven by commodity prices rolling over is, you know, just sort of, you know, helping investors to look for some of those things to, to think that, OK, you know, we're closer to a bottom that's about to turn um, as opposed to, uh, you know, dropping further at that point. And, and the reality is, is, you know, if you miss the first few months of the, the rise, you're often giving up more than half the returns for the entire cycle. Um, the, if you want to give you an example, you know, back in, in 08, um, you know, Freeport got down to eight bucks a share in in December two thousand eight. Um, you know, the the S and P continued to fall for another three months, but by March, uh, you know, two thousand nine, uh, Freeport was already back up to twenty. And best case is you were going to get to you know you, you got to sixty dollars um, by the end. So yeah, you you know you gave up two and a half x you know by waiting for the S and P to turn. So you know you know how you know what what are those things to look at to say you need to to jump in and, and a quadra we jumped in we bought an asset in January 2009 because we felt you know we'd seen the conditions for a bottom you know get in place 
Uh, and again, we looked at a number of transactions, got very close on a few others uh, at that time. But that really gave us the momentum to come out of 2009 in a much stronger position than a lot of the other companies that were you know, sort of too scared of their own shadow at that point. So, so tell me this. So, I mean, th- this is fascinating. If, if you can identify when the bottom truly is the bottom, obviously your, your margins yeah. improve. You know, you can make a bit more money. I mean, in current conditions, obviously... You know, I think people have been able to do quite well over the past couple of weeks. There's been a lot of recovery this week. But do you think in in terms of nickel, because that, that's your area of expertise, do you think it has yeah. reached bottom? What are the things that you're looking at to try and work that out? Yeah, no, I think in terms of nickel, copper, zinc, the base metals, you know, as a whole, um, you know, the first off you need to see is, you know, have you seen this range of supply cuts to see whether the supply demand balance for that market has basically, you know, got back into at least a balanced position, if not a deficit position. Because, you know, again, fundamentally, it's a, you know, you know, fundamentals will ultimately drive it. So you just need to see, you know, are the industry players in that space taking the kind of steps that are going to make, you know, you know, make the market turn into a deficit. So some great recent examples of that were Glencore and Cobalt. You know, and Glencore in the zinc market. Um, you know, who it had turned around both of those those markets in a hurry. So that's kind of you know step one. Um, so, but, step, but you, you yeah. can put, try putting this in layman's terms for us. Sure. Sim- simplify it if you can, because you've got a very sophisticated model there. So, help, help yeah. us understand how retail guys can access that information. Where would they go? What would they be looking for? If you can put it in those terms as well, that'd be really sure. helpful. Yeah. So, you know, most in sort of, you know, sort of broker investor platforms, they'll have a commodities research team or provide you access to commodities research. You know, and the key there is and again, you can I mean, now there's so much available online that you can get some sense of whether, okay, you know, was the copper market in a surplus before or in a balanced market? And is this drop in demand that we've seen going to cause the surplus to get even bigger? You know, or are you know, and then see, okay, are you, have you seen a series of announcements from the big producers that say, okay, you know, we're we're shutting off this mine or shutting off that mine, and and kind of get a sense of, okay, most people are saying there's going to be a, you know, we're looking at a 200,000 tons surplus, but we've seen 200,000 tons come out of the market. You know, and that's a little bit unique about this this thing versus. You know, and just a pure economic crisis is the economic crisis impacts demand first and then supply. This is a little bit different in that COVID is impacting both demand and supply at the same time because you've got mines who are shutting down their sites saying, you know, we've COVID Panama, you know, had a couple deaths. We're just locking everybody in and we're going to you know, run as best as we can, you know, with with the people that we have. OK, so if you look back to SARS, obviously, that was yeah. in a way localized to Asia yeah. predominantly. Um, yeah few breaks outbreaks elsewhere but predominantly there we've got a global pandemic now yeah it's much more serious it's it's causing all markets across the world to be restricted at best and closed down at worst so what parallels can you draw from the SARS um, epidemic to today today Yeah, because the key thing there is that you have, you know, SARS was, I mean, unfortunately, Toronto was one of the other hotspots, you know, where I was based at the time. Um, So, you know, at that time, China was about, you know, 20 to 30 percent of of most base metal markets. 2008 was, you know, 40 to 50 percent. And today, you know, we're at 60 percent. I think the key parallel there is in terms of, you know, how do economies recover after they face a pandemic? 
It's the government's jamming cash into the system to, to basically prime the pump to get the economy jump started again. So, you know, in, in, in SARS, it was it was really, you know, was very much China and sort of neighboring Asian countries that were most affected. But the most visible signs to um, constituents that politicians could do is infrastructure projects, right? And infrastructure projects use lots of metals, right? So that's where, so that's one dimension of what happens in Asia. The other part that happens is you have central banks and the banking system and the government shoving liquidity into the banking system. Well, again, the, 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 um, the traders in, in, in those communities basically say, okay, I've got access to cheap capital. You know, what are ways that I can quickly take that cash and deploy it into something that then I can also leverage up at some point in time? So physical commodities, you know, are also another way that that liquidity sort of, you know, pops out into the into the system. So, you know, that's why, you know, it's it's it's, you know, what we saw in SARS, we saw again, you know, in the global financial crisis. And today, I think that's the opportunity going forward is is, is it's it's not only going to be China priming the pump, you know, it's every nation in the world, every government wants to kickstart their economy as hard and as quick as possible. Um you know, once we get through the pandemic here, so you're going to have a huge surge of liquidity into the system that's going to be looking for a home. So, and I think commodities is going to really benefit, you know, benefit from that uh, that surge in cash. Okay, and what else would we be looking for in terms of metrics? I mean, the, okay, f- physical um, metal. Um, actually, before we move on, there, I mean, how how yeah. would we, the average punter, identify? Where would we go to find out whether that is coming into the market? Are we just looking, I say, broker notes, but where else? Sure. So, I mean, the 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 key the key piece, the key data, and it's not it's it's not you know sort of published everywhere, but you can find it, and and that and this is the, this is why, you know, and and these are the key things that's you know a lot of people are looking for. One is is physical premiums. So you know, um, you know, again, there's the price that's traded on the LME. You know. Um, uh, or on the COMEX for a particular metal. But in every market, there's a, a, a premium for physical del- delivery near term. So what tends to happen, you know, one of the first signs that you see money coming in or demand coming back into the system and squeezing is those physical premiums really start to shoot up in the gold space you know, um, recently with the shortage in gold, you saw physical gold premiums, you know, go crazy, right? So um, that same thing, not to the same degree, but that same phenomena does happen in each of the base metals, you know, as some of the liquidity comes in. Uh, the other dimension to look at, and this is particular more to China and Asia, is, um, you know, in, in North America and Europe, you know, you know, if I'm if I'm a you know a, a company that buys buys nickel or buys stainless steel and I make something with it, you know, I'm not. You know, the, the purchasing departments of most of those companies aren't aggressive speculators at the same time in the price of the metal. That's not the same case in a lot of, you know, in, in a large parts of China and, and elsewhere in Asia. So the other places to look at are things like scrap discounts um, and um, concentrate um, uh, terms, because what happens is, is that people um, is they basically want to get copper in any form or nickel in whatever form it is and just get my hands on it as quickly as possible. So they buy things like scrap, they buy things, they buy things like concentrate that, you know, again, I'm, you know, they're going to trade it by the time that concentrate lands, but it's a chance for me to buy copper at two bucks a pound, you know, and hopefully make some money off it, um, you know, at some point in the not too distant future. So, 
um, you know, as an example, in early 2009, it, you know, again, it wasn't hard to call that copper bottom because you saw scrap trading at a premium to pure metal. Like some, you know, there was a bunch of grades of scrap that were trading, you know, so it was clear that China was short copper, wanted to get its hands on as much copper as possible. So even though the price was falling or staying flat, you just saw these, these you know, discounts become premiums in, in, in the scrap market. So it's those kinds of metrics that you, you need you need to get your hands on. But we, t- we talked about this before Christmas, and that's exactly what was happening. The scrap was hitting the market. You did call a drop in, drop in price in the yeah. market for the first, potentially first half of this year before steadily recovering. I mean, obviously with COVID-19 coming in, I don't know what the impact of that has been, but are yeah. you saying that the signals were there before Christmas? Oh, the signal. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, we talked a lot in September, I think the first time and and, and, and nickel was hitting, you know, sort of four year highs around $18,000 a ton. But what you saw in the scrap market was that the discounts for scrap were had traded out to probably record levels in terms of, you know, they were as as big a discount as there had ever been in the metal. So that's why, you know, I was quite confident and said publicly at the time that I think, you know, nickel prices are going to be down by to thirteen thousand, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars a ton by Christmas time, you know, which is, you know, where which is where they were. So, you know, they're very good leading indicators of both tops and bottoms in terms of where, you know, where the market's headed. So again, if you're serious and if you've got a significant portion of your net worth invested in 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 mining and commodity related stocks, it's worth to get access to some of this data and you know and pay attention to it. You know, if if you trade your positions. So let's 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 talk about how the people do yeah. that because I think this yeah. is uh, advice to certainly a lot of our um, people on Crux Club and slightly slightly wider, which is getting an appreciation of where nickel is today. So in terms of hitting bottom, big clue there, scraps come into the market the end of last year, maybe what, what's your view with regards to what COVID is going to do to that? Is it going to delay things at three months, six months? Yeah, so I, I had said, you know, we were going to trough sort of into December, January timeframe and then start to recover by July, August this year. I think COVID pushes that out to December, January. Uh, and again, just to give you sort of those those sort of mile posts that I talked about um, in terms of what you should look for, let me just sort of walk through where nickel is Beautiful. relative to those, you know, mile posts. So, you know, first off, nickel as a... Um, you know, as a commodity right now, there's a good Macquarie report out recently that showed the supply cuts for each of the individual metals and sort of the nickel mine supply cut as a percentage was the biggest of all the metals. So, again, you're getting the nickel supply cuts that you need to do. The second thing is where are you where are you on the cost curve? Because, again, if you are, you know, typically on and I had mentioned the point earlier, but if, if you're on a cost curve, the 90th percentile of the cost curve is usually a good long-term price. A good short-term trough is 60 to 70% into the cost, you know, at the 60th to 70th percentile of the cost curve. So if you're already close to that price, you know you don't necessarily have a lot of downside risk from there. You know, and today's nickel price is probably around that 70th percentile. You know, so you are starting to see some, you know, some producers close in as well. So, you know, again, in terms of downside risk, I think, you know, we're pretty close to what the bottom is here. Um, in terms of recovery, though, you know, in terms of those premiums and discounts, you know, those, you know, the, the, the discounts for, for fair and nickel are still quite wide. 
I think the scrap discounts, I haven't checked, you know, for the past few weeks, but I still think that they are sitting relatively wide. So, you know, that's where I don't, you know, you know, I think we'll see the price move, may move up a little bit. We're, we're not going to see a significant recovery in nickel prices over the next two or three months. And I think it's going to take another seven or eight months to sort of clear out some of the overhang, you know, that it, that came into the market in September because of the price, big price spike earlier. Right. And yeah. again, so there are a few players in the market. And I, I know you've got your hat in the ring with um, Canada Nickel Corp. Um, yeah who are positioning themselves to try and hit the cycle right. You know, yeah. you, you, which, which obviously means that you know, you've either got to be near-term production or at least within, say, the next three to four years, you've got to hit, to hit this cycle. Is, is, is that fair to say? Yes, yeah, in terms of, you, yeah, you want to be, um, you know, I think the best part of the nickel market, you know, in terms of, of equity appreciation is going to be sort of, you know, in the next four or five years, kind of thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Versus versus the versus the second five years. I mean, the the big demand is going to come, but the run up in the equity prices in anticipation of that demand is going to happen in the next three or four. Exactly. Years. Sorry. Yeah. That, that, exactly yeah. what I meant. Um, yeah. Because again, it, now if you're investing in mining, and you're thinking of nickel as part of your portfolio, and trying to work out what you should be aiming for, um, you know, you, and you're going to pick a range of risk in there uh, you know the, expl the explorer developers are probably where you're going to see the biggest return but the, the developer is probably going to be a little bit safer for, for most people in terms of co identifying companies which are going to be able to hit this cycle which are going to be able to position themselves as attractive to, as either one fundable or two takeout targets and and you've you've talked in the past to to us and i think you know we're big proponents of it is which is have you got a project with scale has it got yeah. long life of mine to run through a cycle or two um and in a district where you think you can actually you know de deliver on um you know whether it be permits licenses or actually you know getting actually into, into production so um is, I mean, is, was, is there anything that you'd add to that in terms of what people should be looking at if considering nickel as part of their portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that is sort of fundamentally sort of the, the sort of the, the sound investment thesis. The, the opportunities at these kind of you know near market bottoms is to you want to invest not necessarily in the highest quality names at this point in the cycle. Is you want this is where. Um, you want to own something that's maybe in the third or fourth quartile that, you know, today is struggling to make cash. And there's a bunch of copper producers in that situation today who are basically, you know, cash break even, you know, at today's prices. And their share prices have come down, you know, dramatically because, you know, in that rebound, you know, they're the ones as, as the price comes back, they're the ones who are going to have the most relative increase in terms of, you know, available free cash flow you know, coming back out of the cycle. So, you know, if you're a believer in a commodity, you know, own, you know, you, you have to you know, own the quality names in general, you know, when you want to do it, you want to have the quality development stories to sort of see you through with, you know, the upside of the cycle and you get the, the benefit of the development happening. But, you know, it's at these inflection points where, again, both top and bottom, you know, these sort of high torque uh, copper producers, you know, are the ones that you want to, uh, your high, high torque Metal producers are the ones you want to, uh, you know, get some exposure to at this bottom of the cycle because they're going to give you the biggest kick coming, you know, coming back out of the out of the bottom there. 
Okay, beautiful. I mean, and just to finish off, in terms of you know, what are yeah. the what are the um, sources that you would recommend to people in terms of where can they go and you know learn a little bit more, bone up on the on the, on the topic. Sure. So, you know, I think, you know, again, some of this, a lot of this data you start to have to get, you know, subscriptions for. But again, if you're in, you know, if you're deploying a certain amount of money that you need to, you know, it's a good insurance policy to have the best information possible. And don't, you know, again, when you re- read it in the news, you're, you're, you're three months too late. So um, Shanghai Metal Market, SMM, does a great job of Chinese research um, and gives you, you know, all, all the kind of metrics that I was talking about in terms of premiums and scrap discounts and concentrate terms and so forth. You know, they do an excellent job of, of giving you as, as best a good an insight as pretty much anybody in the world um, in terms of finding that market. Um, there was... Um, a group Argus um, tracks a bunch of other uh, targets that way. And then obviously, you know, Metal Bulletin Fast Markets, you know, is one of the other major data providers that provides, you know, data series, you know, on a huge range of, of you know, market metrics. And again, it's the frequency that's important. You know, again, you know, in, in these types of markets, if you can get something where they're posting it weekly, and again, Metal Bulletin and these groups are very good at, at providing those sort of weekly updates in terms of, of what's happening, um, you know, in the physical markets. And it's those physical markets that you want to see, you know, what's going on. I mean, that's what, you know, differentiates Glencore from a lot of the other producers is, you know, they, they you know, they've got that that market in information, you know, that allows them, you know, to be in a position, you know, so again, it's not surprising in a bunch of those commodities, it was Glencore, you know, who's, you know, helping lead the turn of those commodities uh, going forward. Okay. And um, here's one for you. Not a nickel name. I don't want a nickel name. Um, I, yeah. I, I, in fact, I don't want nickel as the commodity. What commodities are you looking at, at the moment? What do you think is hot? Obviously, in, in fact, don't tell me gold. But uh, so apart from nickel and gold, what do you think people should be looking at in terms of not necessarily short-term gain, but you know, use, using your thesis about how to spot things? It, oh, in terms of, of of specific metal commodities right now that I think are sort of good near-term, good longer-term type structural. Um, um, you know, I think. You know, I think at this point, um, you know, at these price levels, cobalt, you know, again, you know, these aren't going to be, you know, 5x moves. I think cobalt at this point, I think Lencore has got their hands back around the market. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're going to keep it in a range for a while. But I think, you know, longer term, you're going to see cobalt demand grow and, and start to move up to the upper end of that range. So sort of from 10 to $12 today towards, you know, 18 to $20, you know, um, you know, in the in the not too distant future. Uh, copper right now, I think, um, you know, the problem with copper is everybody always loves copper. Um, you know, I think I think near as a near term trading opportunity, you know, Today, you know, when you look at where we are in the cost curve, um, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, that's the one to track to see if it's going to pop back up again. Now, again, I, I don't think I think copper faces the overhang of you're going to see, you know, and a factor in a lot of metals is Chinese scrap. You know, China has a lot of buildings they built in the 90s that they're tearing down now. Um, so you're going to see a lot more scrap generation in things like iron, iron ore um, and in things like copper. Um but I think near term, you know, copper, you know, can it squeeze back up to 250 or 275, you know, in, in, in you know, once we're back off the bottom, you know, yes, very much so. So, you know, again, um, you know, and there's lots of ways to play that commodity. I think, 
you know, I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, pretty key. Um, you know, lead's obviously going to face a challenge with, you know, the, the sort of decline of its major, you know, commodity end use. And, and zinc is always tough because, you know, China, China is always a major mine producer of zinc and sort of comes in a market and this, you know, the school we had, so, you know, I'm not sure, um, uh, you know, there in that metal. So, um, you know, again, part of the reason I'm I'm with with a nickel company right now, and you know, didn't go didn't switch to copper, didn't switch to another metal, was because you know I, I do believe you know nickel does have the the better medium, you know, medium and long term fundamentals versus those other commodities. Beautiful. Well, Mike, that's a, a nice little run through, and um, picked up a few things I was I, I quite enjoyed um, learning about. Um, you got to come back on soon. Um, please, and give us a rundown on something which I want to know a little bit more, which is dirty nickel. That is something which has uh, come across our desk recently, and um, I'd like you to kind of talk to us and what the impact of that is. Yeah, no, I think, I think you know, it, you know, as much airtime as sort of the class one, class two debate has mm-hmm. got about nickel over the last three years, I think the real debate over the next three years and, and one of the big issues facing this sort of the nickel industry, you know, is going to be this topic of, you know, when you're supplying nickel to electric vehicles, you know, those car companies, you know, don't want a lot of pollution tied to that nickel. And, you know, there's a huge disparity in the amount of pollution that comes from the various nickel sources. But, you know, we can discuss that in more detail uh, next time. I think that's going to be a fascinating one. So, look, thank you very much. I'll let you go. Um, appreciate all the thank time you, sir. effort you put in here with us. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.